Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you pour your love into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Would you do the miracle that only you can do, which is to make these words come alive to us? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Today is the last Sunday, like I said, in Eastertide, which is the season that follows uh, Easter morning. And uh, there's six Sundays. It's longer than Lent, and that's important. We feast longer than we fast, which is a good thing. Um, But this season, we've been talking about being resurrection witnesses and what it looks like to bear witness to the resurrected Christ. So there's been some themes like, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Um, We've talked about coming alongside others and helping them experience God. Uh, We've talked about breadth and depth, all those things. And our gospel reading this morning really beautifully sums that all up. Um, But we can't continue to talk about witnesses without talking about how awkward it is. It's awkward. Amen. It carries cultural baggage. Um, I love the Jim Gaffigan bit that says, like, I don't care how religious you are. Nothing is more uncomfortable than somebody coming up to you and saying, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, you know? He's like, you could be the Pope. And if somebody said to the Pope, I want to talk to you about Jesus, he's like, whoa, take it easy. You know, I keep work at work. It's weird. Uh, Christians feel like they, this is something that we force. Uh, folks who don't identify as Christian often feel it's forced upon them. And so it's super awkward. So I want to address that. My favorite example of this um, comes from the Marilyn Robinson novel, Lila. Uh, If you're not familiar with the writer, Marilyn Robinson, she's in Iowa, she's won Pulitzer Prizes, and she is a national treasure. I would commend her books highly to you. Yes, see some clicking. She's awesome. Um, Lila, one of her novels, tells the story of a woman who grows up on the fringes of society uh, and experiences a lot of suffering. And up until a certain point in her life, never really has contact with the church. But there's a scene in this novel where she hitches a ride uh, with this woman that in the novel is clearly characterized as like a classic 50s American evangelical. And the scene begins as they're driving, and the woman, where we're going to pick up in the conversation, the woman apologizes for saying dang, because she says dang, and then she immediately says she's sorry. So I'll read it. I shouldn't have said dang, the woman said. Something wrong with saying dang, responded Lila. Well, it's practically swearing. Everybody knows what you really mean by it. And Lila said, I didn't even know there was such a thing as practically swearing. In my church, there is. Nazarene, we're pretty strict. Lila thought, this is exactly why I keep to myself. The woman went on. No drinking, no smoking, no dancing, no makeup, no jewelry. They're not too pleased with women driving cars. No stealing or killing either, but that's not what they talk about most of the time. I don't mind it. I grew up in it. You give him your money? Lila asked. The woman laughed. A dime on the dollar. That's usually about what it amounts to, tithing. One-tenth of nothing. But we have a nice potluck every now and then. We try to look out for each other. It's cheaper than insurance. (laughs) You have a church? Nope. Lila said. You might visit a couple of them. Just look in the door. If you're living away from your family, a church can be a help. I ain't living away from my family, Lila said. And after a minute, the woman said, 
We're a mission church. So I'm supposed to try to bring you to Jesus. But I won't if you don't want me to. Try, I mean. Some people think it's irritating when I do that. I guess I'm just not much good at it. Lila said, I wouldn't mind talking about something else. <laughs> the woman responded, sure, fine. Ooh, it just feels gross, right? It's like, oh, to be in that hitchhiking experience is miserable. Uh, if you're not a Christian, maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Uh, if you are a Christian, maybe you've been in that type of situation and felt that weird and awkward. We're a mission church, so I'm supposed to try to bring you to Jesus. You can just feel the condescension dripping from that, right? I love Marilyn Robinson, this author, and I think she's a master at letting her characters be her characters, but I think in this scene, she couldn't fully hide her distaste for what she calls mission churches. This is the perception of the American church. Zealous, weird, and the worst part is they force their people to force their faith on other people. It's like the church has this massive initiative to bring everybody to Jesus, but nobody really wants to. You have to. Now, Jesus is super clear, and this is important, and it's actually clear in this passage. Bearing witness and bringing people to Jesus is a command of his. That much is true. To be a Christian is to be a witness, right? The church is always on mission. Go, baptize, make disciples. And bearing witness does have a sense of urgency for Jesus. Mission is always on its front foot. Jesus does have an initiative that he's a part of. But what's behind the command? What's behind the sense of urgency? That's the question. I used to work for Apple for several years, and Apple is an extremely uh, driven company. They have a lot of initiative as a company. Um, but what's behind it? Apple would like to make you think, through a lot of quotes from John Lennon and Gandhi and Bob Dylan and stuff, that it's like poetry and human flourishing and everything. But I had a senior leader one time tell me in confidence that, like, don't be fooled. When you get behind everything in Apple is the almighty dollar. At the end of the day, they're a for-profit company. And I don't mean that to be rude towards Apple. I love Apple. I have an iPhone. Um, but that's just who they are. They're a for-profit company. What's behind the mission of the church? What's behind, what's underneath the command to witness? Often, like in Lila, in that book, the perception is that it's the initiative of legalism. I have to. We're supposed to. I'm forced to. Often the perception is it's the initiative of money. Like Apple, the church just wants to get rich. I've been reading a history of the Middle Ages, and oh my gosh, the church had a lot of money in the Middle Ages, and it extremely looked like a for-profit company if there ever was one, right? Initiative of politics, we got to win the culture wars, so get out there and recruit, basically. The initiative of fame, do you just want me to be your follower? You know, like Christian leaders just want to get famous. I think, and you need to hear me say this, all of these at some point have crept into the church, and we need to own that. I could point an example of all those things I just said somewhere in the church today. But if you dig deep under Jesus, and if you dig deep under the apostles' teaching in the Bible, what do you find? That's our question. What was the initiative of Jesus? 
Hey, Jack. Hey, Ian. Can you ever imagine Jesus saying, I'm supposed to do the Father's will? Um, if you don't want me to do this, it's fine, but I'm, I'm here. I just, I, Father told me to do this, so I have to. Can you ever imagine the apostles saying, I'm supposed to bring you guys to Jesus? Him showing up in Jerusalem and Acts and starting to preach and being like, I have to do this. I'm really sorry if you don't like it, but I just need to. No, right? If you dig into Jesus' life, if you uncover everything to figure out what drove Jesus' mission, why is he doing what he's doing, you will find, and you know this because it's the title of the sermon, you will find that there is the initiative of love. And I know that sounds warm and fuzzy. I promise it's not just a hallmark thing. We're going to unpack it. But underneath everything for Jesus is love. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. And if you dig deep under Jesus' command to the church, what is meant to be the prime mover behind, underneath and behind all the people of God's energy and what we do and why we do it is the initiative of love. Jesus says, my command, as I've loved you, so you love one another. For Jesus, his mission was synonymous with his belovedness. And for the Christian, her mission is synonymous with her belovedness. It's extremely unique. John 15 is this stunning picture of the initiative of love, and I'd like you to turn with me there now. If you're watching on the live stream, please grab your Bible, flip with me to John 15. This is a phenomenal passage. In it, we see the Father loves the Son, and the Son, moved by the Father's love, loves his disciples with the same love. And then the Son commands his disciples to love one another in the same way. So the picture we get isn't of greed or vainglory or cultural domination. The picture we get is of love causing a profound chain reaction that continues to propel and spill over and envelop more and more people. It's stunning. Let's look at it together. So flip with me to John 15. Everything begins with the Father loving the Son. This is where it all starts. If you trace the breadcrumbs of Christianity and church and Jesus and Israel, it goes all the way back to the Father's love with the Son, the Father's love for the Son. The Father is the source, the first initiator in his love for the Son. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We often think of Jesus as the ideal human, like the, the person who's most been fully alive, the, the pinnacle of what it looks like to be a human, because of the way he loved other people. And that's true. No one has ever loved other people like Jesus. But also, before he is a man full of love for others, he is a man who has fully loved himself. No one has ever received love quite like Jesus, opened himself up to love quite like Jesus. Jesus tells us that before the foundation of the world, he was being loved. John 17, 24, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus remembers it. 
And in the Gospels, every time we get a glimpse into the Father's relationship with the Son, like through a keyhole, you just see the Father gushing out love for his Son. So two points, and you've heard me talk about this before. At Jesus' baptism, an astonishing thing happens. The Trinity manifests. Heavens open up, and the Father rarely thunders and speaks from heaven. And he only says a few things, but the main thing he says is, this is the son that I love, my beloved. I am so, so pleased with him. That's our first glimpse. The father just gushing over Jesus. Oh my goodness, I love my son and I want the world to know it. Second time, think of the Mount of Transfiguration. Same thing happens. The heavens open up. We get this glimpse into heaven. And what happens? The father thunders from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Same thing. He's just gushing. You ever wondered with like a, a marriage or a relationship or a friendship? You just, I wonder what that's. I wonder what their relationship is like behind closed doors. Um, I wonder what they're like at home. And honestly, you never know unless you're there at home to be there with them. But you do have glimpses. You get clues of how a relationship is like in public every now and then to know what they're like at home. The only few glimpses that we get of the father and the son are so profoundly beautiful with the father affirming and loving and giving all things to his son. Can you imagine what their relationship was like before all eternity? It's astonishing. The point of all this is that it was love, that initiating love of the father, that was the foundation, the prime mover of everything Jesus did. And according to verse 9, Jesus' life was simply giving away what he had already received. So Jesus loved because he was loved. Jesus chose his disciples, he says in John 15. He called them out. He loved them. He appointed them because the Father, according to 1 Peter, chose Jesus as a precious cornerstone and appointed Jesus to good works. Jesus revealed to others the mysteries of heaven because they were revealed to him. You know how Jesus would do this thing where he would teach in public and he would say a parable that was kind of hard to understand? But then he would take his disciples aside and say, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I mean by this. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. In other words, throughout Jesus' life, can you imagine Jesus growing up and the father taking Jesus aside in all those nights alone on mountains when he was praying And the father just unpacking and revealing things to Jesus. And then Jesus goes from that place with the father where the father is opening up heaven. And then he sits with Peter and James and John. And he's like, guys, I want to let you in on something. Isn't that cool? This is how the father loves the son. There's so much more we could say. But then think about how the son has loved us. Look back at John 15 with me really quick. If you look, you'll see that verses 12 to 17, and especially if you have a Bible, you'll see this. Uh, Verses 12 to 17 is kind of a set-apart paragraph, and I like to call this paragraph the love sandwich, or I think better, the sandwich of love, which is also a great book title. Um, Because, look, verse 12 and 17 are, are essentially the same thing. They're the bread of the sandwich, the sandwich of love. And in that verses 12 and 17, they're both Jesus saying, I've commanded you, my command is that you love one another like I've loved you. 
And in the middle, all the meat and the fixins, is essentially Jesus unpacking what that means. I want you to love others the way I've loved you. Here's how I've loved you in the middle. And then at the end he says, so go do that. And one of the things I want to point out from this sandwich of love is how much Jesus focuses on the initiative he took in the disciples' lives. Look at verses 15 to 16. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. For all that I heard from my father, I made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the the father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is saying, you did not choose me. You did not find your way to me. You did not intellectualize your way to me. You did not miracle meditate your way to me. I chose you. I came out of nowhere and I swept you up into my arms. I called you my friend. I appointed you to bear good fruit. I revealed the mysteries of heaven. I laid down my life for you. I loved you first. You didn't ask for it. You did not expect it. It was my mission. It was the love of the Father flowing through me, flowing over you out of nowhere. That's how Jesus loved us. And interestingly enough, in the book of Deuteronomy, which is Moses' moment like this, Jesus has this moment with his disciples. This is towards the end. Moses has this moment with the people of Israel in the Old Testament right before Moses dies and they cross the Jordan River. And if you read Deuteronomy, you will find Moses saying the exact same stuff. Hey, Israel, I want you to remember, the Lord chose you. He came out of nowhere. He loved you first. Same gospel truth. So what's Jesus' command to his disciples? What's the bread of the sandwich? Go do that for other people. You go love people like that. You've been chosen. Now go choose. You've been befriended. You didn't call me your friend. I called you a friend. Now go find somebody and befriend them in that way. You've had the mysteries of heaven opened up to you. Now go, reveal. I came into your life when you least expected it and I swept you up. Now go into somebody else's life when they least expect it and sweep them up. You've been loved, now go love. And so it is that love keeps initiating, it keeps breaking new ground. Belovedness fuels mission. I hope you see that. And we have a beautiful picture of how this played out after Jesus in our reading in Thessalonians. This is an amazing passage. It's, I think it's right next to your John passage in your bulletin. I want you to look at it with me. If you're at home, this is from Thessalonians. Um, The Apostle Paul is somebody who, without ever asking for it, had Jesus just sweep into his life. That's Damascus. Uh, Jesus chose Paul. He loved Paul. Um, He just put Paul under a fire hose of the love of God and the mysteries of heaven. Um, And then he just set him loose (laughs) into into the ancient world. And uh, this story is about when the Paul showed up in Thessalonica, this ancient town, for the first time. And uh, he says earlier on in this passage that as he was preaching, there was a lot of conflict. It was really hard. He'd been entrusted with the gospel. So he had this big evangelistic mission in Thessalonica. But what was behind it? 
What was driving it? Look with me at verse 3. This is really important. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God's witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In other words, he's saying, go ahead, dig and see what's behind our mission. Give us an audit. Tap our phones to listen in on what's really underneath all this. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The impulse was love. Do you see that there? We just loved you so much. Paul and the other Christians were just surfing the wave of divine love. That started all the way back with the Father. It's amazing. I can't imagine the boldness it would take to use the analogy of being like a nursing mother with its own children, right? Isn't that amazing? You and I are included in this same sequence of events. So this morning, there's this profound chain reaction of the Father's love demonstrated and manifested in the Son sent and poured upon his disciples through the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout history, and it affects us all the way down to today. Some of you know this, but I, when I was in high school, I was really moved by a guy who came into my life and just chose me. When I was 14, he was a freshman in college, I was a freshman in high school, and he just started loving on me and my friends. And I was not a cool 14-year-old, so it was because I was cool or fun to hang out with. I was not fun to hang out with for a freshman in college. But for four years, that guy just loved me. He just discipled me. And on a weekly basis, he would do what the Father did for Jesus, what Jesus did for his disciples. He just took me aside, and he started unpacking the mysteries of heaven. When I was a teenager. So when I became a freshman, what did I do? I found the first ministry I could. I didn't care what ministry it was. I didn't care what denomination it was. I just wanted to find a group of 14-year-old boys. And the first one that I found, I said, there was a woman who was recruiting, and I was like, I don't care what your ministry is about. Can you get me a you know, group of 14-year-old boys? And she was like, yes. I was like, sign me up. And I got a random group of 14-year-old boys, and I loved those kids for four years. And I never thought twice about it, I didn't read it in a book. Nobody told me to do that. That didn't say anything about me. I was literally just bearing a fruit because somebody loved me. Someone else's love towards me bore fruit in my life towards someone else. If you would have taken me aside at that point and said, I know because you grew up in a church, you feel like you have to do this, but you don't have to do this. Like, would you just stop doing it? Like, this makes it weird for everybody else. I would have just been tempted to slap you in the face, you know? Like, what are you talking about? I love this. It was my passion. It was just an overflow. There was no supposed to about it, if you get what I mean. Now, like I said at the beginning, are there times in the church, to go back to Paul's vocabulary, 
where the gospel is preached or mission is driven by, a pretext for greed, lust for personal glory, impurity, the desire to deceive, the answer is yes. There are those times. That was true in Paul's day. It is true in our day. And for that, we repent. Yet it was not so for Jesus. Not so for the first church. And it is not so today where the church is thriving in her belovedness. When you get behind everything, what you find is love. And this is really, really important for all of us who are here and for those of you who are watching on the live stream. It's so important in a world that is constantly questioning the motives behind everything, right? A world that's constantly applying a hermeneutic of suspicion to everything and everyone and every institution. This is really important. So see in Jesus' words here, when you get behind the mission of the gospel, what you discover is love. It's pure. It's beautiful. Who in the world would not want to be befriended and chosen like this? Who wouldn't want that? What other mission is synonymous with belovedness? Who wouldn't want this to spread, right? One person I can think of who doesn't want this to spread is the devil. The mission of Jesus is driven by love, and because of that, it's unstoppable. Legalism can only do so much. If you guys have ever been in a legalistic environment, it actually is pretty powerful, but it has its limits. Tyranny can do a lot. Colts can do a lot, but only so much. Love is unstoppable. Love never fails, the Bible says. Did you hear this in Song of Songs this morning? Such a beautiful, beautiful passage. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Cue the Beatles. Can't buy me love, right? Love is the flame of the Lord. Nothing can quench it. I was reading about the Welsh revival of 1904 this week, which was a revival that happened in Wales, okay? Um, it was this massive, massive movement that started in Wales, and it literally changed the UK and literally changed the world. It, its ripples went to the four corners of the earth. And it started when there was some initial just church meetings. They're small. Wales is a small town. And there was this preacher who was preaching these revival meetings, which that just kind of means like some church after church meetings. And after one of them, he, there was about 60 young men and women who stayed behind. And so they were talking with uh, the guy who was speaking. And he said, what does the Lord Jesus mean to you, to this, this crowd of young people? And at first, People like me in the crowd responded with the right answer, you know, like the son of God, he's Lord, you know, like they, they gave the right intellectual response. And the preacher said back, yes, but what does the Lord Jesus mean to you? And apparently the emphasis on you hit in the room and everybody's like, wow. And no one said any, anything until a teenage girl named Flory Evans 
who had previously just decided to start following Jesus. She stood up and said in Welsh, which I can't pronounce, so I'll say the English translation. She said in this little room, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And after her statement, the Holy Spirit had started to minister the love of God into the hearts of the people there in a new and profound way where they really did start to taste what Jesus is talking about here. And the world was changed. And out of that revival, the Welsh revival, comes the hymn that we love. And we weren't going to sing it this morning, but I switched it because we have to sing it now. Here is love. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he will never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. When the love of the Father, received and given by the Son, is ministered into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing can stop it. It just flows outward. So just a brief application to finish. What do we do? How do you apply all this? Jesus tells us in John 15, two simple words. The first is, abide. If it all boils down to our belovedness, then our fundamental task as Christians, as the church, as people who are coming home to Jesus and his church, is to get in that love, which is what Jesus means when he says, abide in it. And I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus says earlier in this passage, that's what he does in the Father's love. He says, I have abided in my Father's love. You abide in my love. Walk in it. Drink it. Talk about it. Eat it. Sleep it. Share it. Remain in it. The second word is obey, which he says all throughout this passage. But what does he mean by that? We obey his command not just to receive his love, but to love others in that same way. Do you see, to go back a couple weeks ago, the, the depth of abide and the way that that's connected to the breadth of loving others and obeying. But there's no arm twisting to do so, right? For the one who is abiding in God's love, this is just a natural overflow. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.